signs. People look for signs to explain what's going on, even what is going to happen. In the years that led up to the fall of the last Israelite kingdom of Judah, prophets like Isaiah were called on to faithfully explain the signs. And things looked bad. The Israelites, their Israelite neighbors to the north had allied with other nations against them. The combined might of this army was more than the nation of Judah could match. And the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake when there's a wind. But the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet the king. Say to him, Be careful and stay calm. Don't fear. Don't lose your heart over those two pieces of smoking torches, over the burning anger of Razin, Aram, and Ramalia's son. Aram has planned evil against you with Ephraim and Ramallah's son, saying, Let's march up against Judah, tear it apart, capture it for ourselves, and install Tabil as king. But the Lord God said, It won't happen. It won't take place. If you don't believe this, you can't be trusted. The facts were that Judah was outnumbered and outmatched. But this one guy was telling you that everything was going to turn out okay, despite all evidence to the contrary. And Isaiah goes on to say this. Listen, house of David, isn't it enough for you to be tiresome for people that you were also tiresome before my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and about to give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. He will eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring upon you upon your people and upon your family days like unlike any other that have come since the day of Ephraim, the day Ephraim broke away from Judah, the king of Assyria. There was a pregnant woman nearby, and the prophet tells the king that by the time that her son, Emmanuel, is old enough to make decisions, the threat from the nations that are allied against Judah will be gone. The child was a sign of hope for the future. Years later, another sign came to a regular guy named Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he did not want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, 
son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child that she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The fact that his fiancée was pregnant, and Joseph knew that it wasn't his, but in a dream, he experienced a sign, a message that God's spirit had gotten Mary pregnant. Despite all the evidence, Joseph should stay with her and give the baby the name Jesus. Even more, Joseph's dream references Isaiah's prophecy from 500 years earlier. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. Despite all evidence to the contrary, like King Ahaz 500 years earlier, Joseph has a sign of hope in a child. I'm going to make a confession. On this very date, years ago, I did something that could have caused me to be rejected from the ministry. One thing was clear to seminary, seminarians was that we are not to administer the sacraments. We can assist, but until we have been ordained, we cannot baptize or give communion. You have to understand that this is a long-standing tradition. And I had left my previous career, moved across the country, and I was following these signs that I believe were leading me to serve as a pastor, as a shepherd in Christ's church. So as a seminarian, I was placed in the youth detention facility in downtown St. Louis as an assistant chaplain. And I remember the first time I went there. When that huge steel door closes behind you, you feel it. There were kids as young as eight years old. I want you to process that for a second. Eight years old, locked up in detention. Most of the kids were teenagers. And the statistical fact is that many, many of the kids in youth detention will eventually graduate to prison. That is the fact that is facing every kid every corrections officer, every judge. 
And if you think that systemic racism doesn't play a factor in youth sentencing, oh my, you need to think again. And it was on this day, this day in December, that I went into Unit D. It was the girls' unit. There was a lot of girls in there, and there were three girls that were clustered around this girl, and they were kind of off on the side, and this girl was sobbing. She was clearly scared. So I went over. These are children, alone. This girl told me what she had done was marijuana possession. The other girls knew her from school, and and they pleaded with me like there was something that I could do to get her out. They explained that she was really smart, and she was a great kid, and she wasn't like them. She shouldn't be there. Oh, dear God. My heart broke. Through her tears, this scared girl believed that if she could get back to church with her grandma, that'd be okay, that it wasn't too late for her. Then she said, you know, if I'd only gotten baptized. And then through her tears, she looked at me and she asked if I would baptize her. Blessing the water that I took from the water fountain that mixed with her tears. I performed my first baptism in Unit D in the juvenile detention facility in the city of St. Louis. And I violated a tradition that could have cost me my ordination. I never thought twice. Because I firmly believe that if I had not acted in that moment, I would have answered to a higher power than the Committee on Ministry. You and I are in a time where the future is unclear. Like the nation of Judah, our nation shakes as the, like as the trees of a forest shake when there is a wind. And we're looking for signs. Cable news is full of would-be prophets attempting to read the signs of our time. I'm not a prophet. I'm a shepherd, a pastor. And this is what I know. The most powerful signs that we have are children. Over the course of human history, Children symbolize the future. The only way to truly care for the future is to love it like a child. That means that you never give up, even if all of the evidence looks bad. You never give up loving, nurturing the future, sacrificing for that love. And you find the courage, courage that comes from God to live the days that you have passionately and love faithfully for all children, for the future that will come.
You live, you work for the light that will come into the world, even if you can't see it now. That girl that I baptized against the rules, we will see each other again. I name her Emmanuel because in her and in every child, no matter what age, God is with us. The same spirit that was in Christ Jesus is in you. Our God of resurrecting grace is in you. You are Emmanuel. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Are you, like Joseph, willing to do the hard thing, trusting that it is the best thing for humanity? Are you, with, are you willing to risk showing love, sacrificing for it? I hope so. Because whenever a person is willing to do that, to take risks in the name of love, this world turns a little more toward the light. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help me to love like you. Help me to see the future in every child of God of any age and nurture that future for the good of all humanity. Help your light shine in me today. Help me be a sign for you in the world. Hear my prayer. Amen.